0: and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and with sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me know, to know wisdom. So David's confession. In the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. This season of Lent, our consideration on our midweek service is going to be Learning to lament, as you heard in the collect today for Ash Wednesday, that we lamenting our sins, that is to be sorrowful and grieve and mourn for our sins. There's a right way to complain, complaints, whining and grumping, you love to do it, but you know that it usually doesn't help. You might feel better for a moment, but then it comes right back. You complain, and yet no one seems to hear. You whine, but no one responds to it. You grump about, but no one seems to notice your grumpiness. All of the complaints and the whines and the grumpiness gets you nowhere unless it's directed towards someone who can do something about it. Even then see my children here at the front, two of them. You don't mind me picking on you a bit. They know that complaining and whining and being grumpy, even if it's directed towards the people that can do something about it, doesn't often do anything. (laughs) And the reason for that is that you probably need to take a moment of self-reflection. You'll want to consider the validity of your complaint first. Maybe to adjust your tone for the sake of the other, no one likes to listen to a whiner. And maybe drop the indignation and take on a character of humility. Then perhaps your complaint might be heard, received, even acted upon. Now God hears our complaining, too. That's one of the things that we do when we pray, is we offer up our complaints even our whines and our grumpiness, to him. He, he does hear your complaining. He'll suffer all of your whining. He sees you walking about with your long face. And God, he always does something about it, too. His response to your complaints and whines and grumpiness will always be righteous, just, appropriate, he is blameless when he judges. But of course, that means you probably won't like it. Because, because God's will, God will always use your words and behavior for one purpose. To work repentance and faith in him. Of course, there's many examples in the scripture. You might complain about that boring manna every day the same And so he works repentance and trust in you again by sending amongst you fiery serpents. (laughs) You might cry out in fear of your enemies. And then God, working with his just, righteous, and appropriate response, will have you wander about for 40 years in the wilderness (laughs) until you are repentant and you trust in him again. And then he delivers you. That's how God works. Again, He hears your whines, your complaints, your grumpiness, and He'll respond. Now there is an alternative, of course. It's simpler, perhaps, but it's just as painful. You might, as we have done tonight in part, examine your life according to God's Word before you open your mouth. Even better, before you grump and complain before God, Come and take advantage of the gift of private absolution. With your pastor or alone or with another confidant, perhaps work through your own heart and mind before trying to address your complaint to others. Often your complaints and whines and grumpiness really aren't the fault of others at all, but it's your own damned fault. You point the finger at others when it's your own heart that lacks fear, love, and trust in God. And because you have no fear, love, and trust in God, you have also then no love for those around you, whether they have sinned against you or you have sinned against them. David, if you remember, in the context of the psalm, we read it this evening, actually, coincidentally, in our catechesis with the young people, David had committed... Uh, many sins. (laughs) It began with, of course, his eyes as he lusted after Bathsheba and then with his heart as he committed adultery with her and more sinfulness as he murdered her husband and stole all of his possessions and then had others lie and destroy Uriah's reputation and his own and dishonor his office as king and go against God's word and misuse God's name and really make himself out to be God that's how it goes but david didn't know it his conscience was not well informed his sin had made him so stupid that he was lying to himself about what he had done lying to the point where he thought he had actually not sinned at all he married bathsheba and he took the child and was going to take the child into his own home and then david's pastor came to him and his pastor is actually more clever than I am. He tells him a story, a nice story, about a rich man and a poor man. The rich man had many herds and flocks, and the poor man had one little ewe lamb. And when a guest came to the rich man, he took the poor man's one little ewe, slaughtered it for the feast. To which David respond, responded, that man deserves to die. <laughs> and Nathan says to David, you are the man. Ouch. David's conscience now is well informed according to God's word. He hasn't been listening to God's word. He's not certainly taken advantage of his pastor as he struggled with his sin. But now his pastor comes to him. God delivers him from his sin by exposing it, every little bit of it. And that's what we prayed in Psalm 51. That's the context. When you prayed Psalm 51, God put you into the shoes of the greatest king, David, who also happens to be the chief of sinners, David. And as you confess with David, you admit wholeheartedly that you have nothing to give to God that he would want or need. Why would he want that dead heart and all that sin? You confess your absolute need to receive from him everything for faith and life. You have iniquities, he says, sin, guilt, and shame, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's what David said. Instead, as he did with Nathan, so we did in his psalm, you plead out to God for mercy, for forgiveness. He said it in many and various rich ways, didn't he? Wash me thoroughly. Cleanse me. Purge me with the hyssop. Make me hear again joy and gladness. Create in me a clean heart. Uphold me. Restore me. Teach me. Deliver me. Do good to me in your good pleasure. Forgive me. And this, even he goes so far as to demand. You heard that that was all command. He was bossing God around, if you like, but of course he can. You can make such demands of God because that's exactly what God has promised to do. He has, as David says, chesed, that is, steadfast, loving kindness. His love and his mercies never end. They are renewed every morning. He is full of tender mercies and compassion. That's what David believed. That's what you believe. You see, when Nathan reveals David's sin to him, yes, it kills David to have his sin found out, exposed, not only before God, but before his neighbors. But he knows that that was not done to hurt or harm him, but rather to bring him to repentance. That is, to faith That is, his trust in God again. So it is that confession of sins, and especially our our Lord's word of absolution, that absolution that washes over you in Jesus' blood, it changes you. Not only does it forgive you, but as David confesses, it restores to you joy and gladness. It creates in you a clean heart. It renews in you a steadfast spirit. It opens your lips. Forgiveness changes you. Forgiveness converts you from sinful rebellion with all of its complaining and whining and grumping. Forgiveness restores in you trust, trust in God, hope and love in Jesus. So that in all that Jesus has said, you have exactly what he promises. Not doubting, but firmly believing. It's no wonder then that Psalm 51, at least part of it, stands for us as the offertory in the divine service. It's been true for the Western Church for 1,500 plus years. And actually, it stands in the same place in the divine liturgy of the Eastern Church. It's called there, not the offertory, but the great entrance. Both the Eastern and the Western Church pray Psalm 51 after the prayer of the church, or excuse me, before the prayer of the church, but between the service of the word and the service of the sacrament. Why is that, do you think? Well, again, before receiving the Holy Supper, Christ's body and blood, we get to confess our sins again in all of their pervasive and extensive infection. As we stand at right before a theophany, God's revealing to us in, the, in Jesus, in the sacrament, we get to confess with David again, creating me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. But we also really get to echo, in another way, the words, the confession of Isaiah. Because you know, in the service of the sacrament, we confess the song of the angels before the throne of God in Isaiah 6. Holy, holy, holy. But if you remember, before we sang that, before the angels sang that, I should say, Isaiah said this. Woe to is me, for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of Hosts. So just as much as God's holy law reveals um, and accuses us of our sin, there's another reality that happens when we gather around the sacrament, that we're given to kneel in the presence of the holy, almighty, eternal God. And it's always intimidating. It ought to be. It gives us sinners to know how utterly sinful we are. We confess, like Isaiah, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. That overwhelming holiness of God is really then also another source of profound repentance. That's why many are given to even kneel as they come before the altar. We can't help but confess our pride and sinfulness again as we prepare to receive the sacrament, come before God with then hungry hearts and empty hands, ready to receive from Him every good thing He's promised in the sacrament. There we sing Psalm 51, and it sets our hearts in trust and our minds on the promises of God, all of which He actually fulfills just a few moments later as He delivers to us the sacrament. These words, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, are not only the main thing in the sacrament, but they're really the answer to the repentant David and to us that we sing in Psalm 51, in the Offertory. Again, this Lent, on Wednesdays, we're going to learn how to lament. But to lament doesn't mean to whine and complain, but it's something different, so you'll have to stay tuned for that. Tonight we lament our sins. Before we can lament all the other things that happen to us and that cause us great anxiety and worry, before we do so, we should always confess. Confess our sins. Because maybe the thing that we're going to lament, the problem that we have isn't with God, and it's not with our enemy, or it's not even with our neighbor, or our spouse, or our children, whoever. Maybe the problem actually begins with us. it's always good then to do some self-examination and confess or be examined by the pastor to give all your complaints and gripes and worries and anxieties and sorrows and despair to god trusting that he will see you through and the spirit of jesus given in the cleansing flood of your baptism will convert you will renew you and will direct you in faith even as you are given to lament And so David David confessed, deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise, for you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.